back to episode 9 of the Gladiator's Den MMA podcast. Today we're going to cover everything from the last two fight nights and we're going to look ahead at International Fight Week's card of UFC 290. So thank you for listening and without further ado, let's get to it. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Gladiator's Den MMA podcast. Today we're going to try and look back at the last two weeks, the last two fight nights, and then try and have a quick look ahead of the fights this weekend. Now obviously it is the International Fight Week, so we're pretty blessed with a big card, some exciting fights coming up this weekend. Pretty excited for that, and yeah, depending on how a lot of those fights transpire, depends. You're going to have significant impacts on those and on the divisions. So... Yeah, especially the middleweight and featherweight divisions. But some big fights in lightweight as well with uh, Dan Hooker and Jalen Turner. Obviously that card's chopped and changed a little bit over the last couple of days, but we'll get to all that good stuff in a bit. So, yeah, first I feel like I missed out on the Ilya Taporia josh Emmett hype, and I'm late with coming with this, but... Nevertheless, I want to talk about how impressive the Poirier looked. Now, I don't want to harp on about this fight too much because obviously it was a couple of weeks ago now. But, yeah, I haven't put anything out really, so let's get to that one first. Now, the Poirier looked amazing against Emmett. Now, Emmett is as tough as they come. And the Poirier did everything but finish him in that fight, right? And arguably, is it the second round was you know a significant was a significant round. Is that the round that was a ten seven? Now I know there was a ten seven round scored, the fourth ever only ten seven round scored in the UFC history. So you know that show that just goes to show how dominant he was in that fight. And you know Emmett's no slouch. Emmett's a great fighter. He was fighting for the interim fat title, just one fight prior to this. Taporia fight. So, Taporia to come in and win in the way he did has just immediately put him in, you know, contender talk. And, you know, I understand after the fight that he called for a title shot next unless he would be fighting Holloway in Spain, I think was, was his call out. Now, I'm not mad at a Holloway fight next. I know it kind of seems like Holloway is... If you get past Holloway, then you get to fight Volk because of the levels that there currently is in terms of ability in that division. But I think when you perform like that against someone like Emmett, you can skip Holloway and go straight for a title fight. But me personally, and my selfish opinion, I think he should fight someone in the top five next, i.e. Holloway or potentially Brian Ortega. Because Brian Ortega's not been active for a while. Now, I'm not sure if he's been now injured or what. But he's an interesting fight for Taporier because of his jiu-jitsu. Now, I think Taporier smashes him on the feet. But I think if Ortega can get the fight to the ground, I think they're pretty even in terms of, in terms of the fight on the ground. Now, Ortega might be more specialized uh, in jiu-jitsu... But I think with the way that Taporier wrestles and the way that he 
strikes on downed opponents and stuff like that and his ground and pound, I think it kind of evens the playing field a little bit. So if Ortega can get that fight to the ground, he definitely has a shot at winning. And I think that gives Ortega, you know, the hype that he once had prior to going into that Holloway fight. But yeah, uh, I think Holloway versus Depore is such a great fight just to see what would happen because both men like to fight on the front foot. Both men will be fighting for the center of the cage and both men have incredible boxing. Now, I was super impressed with Tapore's boxing against Emmett. I was fully expecting Tapore to maybe try and wrestle. Now, we saw in the later rounds, some of the scrambles, I think it was the fifth round, some of the scrambles were so, so pleasing to watch. I was kind of hoping to see more of that early on in the fight, but the way Tapore was not only offensively boxing, but defensively boxing as well. I mean, obviously, he got hit a couple of times with Emmett's power shots, but there was nothing really significant. He didn't get rocked. He didn't really get caught clean. He, the way he was moving in and out in his head movement was just, yeah, it was amazing, man. I mean, Tapore is certainly something special. And he's, what, 26 years old? If he's not 26, he's 28. He's one of the two. I think he's 26. I mean, who else, who else has looked that good at 26? I mean, McGregor was champion at 26, right? But, I mean, I guess he was dominating too, but undefeated... 26 years old, he just impressively put away one of the better guys in the division. I think Tapore is is the real deal. And I've said this for a while. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it on pre- earlier podcast episodes and stuff, but Tapore is, in my opinion, a future champion. It's not a matter of if he's going to be champion. It's, you know, he's going to be champion eventually and probably soon. Now, is he the guy to dethrone Volk? I don't know. I mean, depending on when Taporia gets a title shot, if Volkanovski is still the champion, you have to take into consideration Volkanovski's age. He's 35 now, probably in his last couple of fights, has been performing at the peak. So eventually his this this peak, these peak performances are going to start to filter out. How many years left does Volkanovski have at the very top? Because Tapore is only going to keep getting better. So there's eventually going to be that crossover moment where Volkanovski starts to decline to the point where Tapore is on the rise. So depending on if Volkanovski is still champion when Tapore fights for it, I believe that Tapore could be one of the guys to, to certainly give Volk a very, very good close fight. Now, it all depends what the UFC want to do with him. Because... If they put him in against Max, he's got to get past Max, right? And I don't think that's that's set in stone. I'd, I'd like to see the odds on that. If there's any odds out, uh, let me know because I'm going to... I'll probably forget to check after this. But yeah, I mean... I'm just trying to think now. Is Tapourier's win over Emmett more impressive than Yair Rodriguez's win over Emmett? Because obviously Yair Rodriguez finished him. Now, looking at that fight with Tapore and looking about uh, looking at how tough he is, you've got to respect the fact that Rodriguez was able to put him away. But is the way that he dominated Tapore dominated? Is the way that Tapore dominated him over twenty five minutes more impressive? Because in my eyes, it is. I think it's more impressive to do what Tapore did over that amount of time than what Rodriguez did. But yeah.
what a fight, what a performance. Um, oh, yeah, of course, I forgot the... I mean, I, I do these short videos on YouTube, right? So if you're uh, listening, please go subscribe to my YouTube. I mean, I sound like a broken record, but I only have a few subscribers. And I genuinely think that some of the videos, especially the short videos that I put out, are pretty good. Um, I'm starting to do these weekly rundowns where I'm going to try and summarize everything from the week prior in 60 seconds or less. And I briefly spoke about how Musk and Zuckerberg have agreed to fight. So do I think that Zuckerberg and Musk will actually fight? Weirdly enough, I kind of do. Just based off the fact that Zuckerberg is like a huge mixed martial arts fan and I think Musk is an attention whore so the whole build up the you know the back and forth the following and the attention it'll get suits uh, Elon Musk so much that I think he would do it and I think Zuckerberg would just kind of like to challenge himself and I think Zuckerberg will strangle him but if Chael Sonnen is to be believed, and that is a big but, he claims that they're going to fight next year at UFC 300, which would be like, what, April time? Now, that gives him all, uh, Elon Musk almost a year to train. And if he's training with the best, depending on how much time he can spare to train, if he's got people like GSP, who he's been posting pictures with online, uh, John Jones, who threw his name into the hat, uh, to train him, He's, you can make significant improvements from where he's at now in a year's time. And with his size advantage over Zuckerberg, he, you know, it just takes one shot. But yeah, Zuckerberg's competed in jiu-jitsu tournaments. I think he won two golds and a silver medal, right? So he clearly knows what he's doing as a white belt. I think he's blue belt now. But yeah, I don't want to speak about it too much because it's kind of like one of those like a YouTube celebrity, you know, troll fights. But don't you think how funny it is how Dana White does full 180s on stuff he says when it suits him? Says they don't put on mock fights and, you know, these, like, charity fights. But when it's Musk and Zuckerberg and he knows it's going to be a pay-per-view hit, he's printing out T-shirts and shit and promoting it already, saying that he's been speaking to them. The guy is such a fucking walking contradiction. But yeah, spoke about that. Um, Alexa Grasso become, became the women's pound for pound number one because now Amanda Nunes' uh, retirement is coming to fruition. And well-deserved. I mean, she smoked uh, Shevchenko very impressively in the last fight. I can't think of any women uh, in the UFC that are pound for pound better than she is. I'm excited to see her rematch with Shevchenko. That'll be interesting to see how Shevchenko bounces back. Um, speaking of women's MMA, uh, Macy Barber was super impressive in her fight um, against uh, Rebus. Is that how you pronounce her name? But yeah, she was super impressive in her fight as well. If you haven't watched that, I highly recommend watching that fight. Um, I'm just going to quickly check now and be on the fights. So, uh, Justin Taffer with Austin Lane was pretty unfortunate. I wasn't particularly looking forward to that fight just because when I watched Austin Lane against Greg Hardy on the Contender Series, he looked so fucking bad. And I've spoke about this before. It just annoys me so fucking much how the UFC put the heavyweight fighters 
on the main card just because they're heavyweights. Dana White gets such a rock on for heavyweight fighters. Yeah, I swear to God, man. He, uh, like, in what world is Justin Taffer versus Austin Lane um, a fucking main event slot? Just before the co-main as well. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this Austin Lane's first fight in the UFC? <sighs> yeah, I just... Alright, just some of the decisions, man. Uh, David Onama got the impressive uh, KO. I mean, Gabriel Santos was looking, was looking, was looking, uh, was looking good prior to getting knocked out. I was impressed with that fight. Brendan Allen, Brendan Allen looked great. I mean, he got the submission in the first round against Bruno Silva. Bruno Silva, of course, is the guy that went three rounds with Alex Pereira and showed that he has a granite chin. But yeah, Brendan Allen, he's a contender in the middleweight division that uh, that they're kind of calling for. I would like to see him have a have a big fight next. I'm trying to think. So, the way the middleweight division is right now, let's just do some, let's just do some calculations together. So, Izzy doesn't have a fight. Right, ready. So the winner of Duplessis and Whitaker is kind of like the unwritten number one contender. But I was watching the Errol Hawani show before and he made a good point is that if that fight goes like the full three rounds and the guys get beat up and they can't do a quick turnaround as they're kind of hoping for, I think the Sydney card's in like two months, right? They kind of, I think they want Izzy to fight on that. If they can't get one of those two fighters to do the quick turnaround, then Sean Strickland's probably going to sneak in after his win. Which means... Brendan Allen could potentially fight one of those three guys next. All Vittori. All kind of nice. I think, yeah. I think you give Brendan Allen the loser of Whitaker Duplessis or Kanane or because Kanane is already for Strickland right I think so just was it Kanane that he fought yeah Strickland's fought Kanane Kanane won right let me just check because I'm, I'm like almost certain I mean, if you've listened to this podcast or watched any or watched like the videos and shit that I do, one of the things that winds me up about myself is I don't do enough research beforehand. I just rely on myself to uh, to remember, and then I never do. And then the next time I'm recording, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do my research before, and then I don't. Yeah, he fought kind of kind of won the decision. I think it was like two fights prior to this one. So yeah. Canada and Strickland aren't gonna fight, but I think that if you give Brendan Allen one of those guys, then you've already you've automatically just put a contender in into the into the middleweight mix, which is what they really need at the minute. So I'd like that. Yeah. Duplessis, the loser of Duplessis or Whitaker could fight um Brendan Allen. And it, because they're fighting in a num- number one contender fight, if you beat the guy that didn't make the number one contender fight, then it shows you're up there. Or if you've got Strickland and Kananea waiting in the wings, Brendan Allen's a, a good fight to have. So, yeah. Give Brendan Allen, Strickland or Kananea. The guy that doesn't fight Brendan Allen fights the loser of Whitaker Duplessis. And we're all winners. 
I should I should get a job in matchmaking. But yeah, so I think that's uh, that's where we stand with that. What else happened on that card? Uh, Neil Magny fought a pretty boring fight against Philip Rowe. Got the job done. Randy Brown fought well against Wellington Turner. Wellington Turner obviously came down and waited to fight that. Uh, Randy Brown was just coming off his loss to uh, Jack Della Maddalena, who's fighting this weekend, of course. So good to see him get the win. Um, Joshua Van, I mean, he came in, right? It was his UFC debut. He looks fucking fantastic. Very impressed with his fight against um, Paddy Pimblet number two. Uh, Trevor Peak's fight was fucking hilarious. Might be my favorite fighter now. If you've not watched it, I highly recommend because Trevor Peak is the man. Just technique out the window, just all heart, all, you know, grit. Fucking love to see it. Jack Jenkins got a win. Um, I watched the fight. I was writing for... I was writing my post-results fight for Verdict MMA. If you don't follow Verdict MMA, I recommend you do. Um, even though I write for them, this isn't like a plug or anything. Their app is really good in terms of keeping up with up-to-date with news. And it's just super fun in terms of like scoring rounds and predicting and stuff. And if you check on like their socials, you'll see that... like. Joe Rogan, Israel Adesanya, people like that have all been hyping it up, saying how good it is. So, yeah, get involved. But So I was writing for that, the post write-up, so I was, like, really taking notice of the fights. And I thought that uh, Jenkins lost. And it was a very close fight, but I thought it was pretty easy to see that he'd lost. If you know what I mean. Like, you know when rounds are close, but you know who the, it's a clear winner still? It was like that, in my opinion, anyway. Um, and of course, the two boys, the dangerous duo, Chris Lee and uh, Sal DeManto were the, the two judges that fucking, you know, potentially fucked that up, which nobody's surprised at. But yeah, that's, I think, all the main stuff from that card. Uh, the next card was obviously last weekend's. Um, I wasn't really looking forward to this fa- this one. Uh, but yeah, I watched it. Of course, I mean, I, I watched them every week. But yeah, uh, I wasn't really looking forward to it. Uh, I was super, super, super impressed with the Elvis Brenner fight because Garam was, oh, you know, probably still is touted to be like top 15, potentially top 10 level, like a top 10 contender in terms of how good he is. He beat Gamrot in his UFC debut. And look what Gamrot's done in the last couple of years. And I think this was in 2020. And then he had two years out for through to injury. And then he lost a split decision. And this was his comeback again after an injury. So he'd only he's only fought a couple of times in the last few years. But he's such a good fighter that, you know, big things were, were expected. And he was fighting Elvis Brenner, who obviously came off that controversial win in his UFC debut, Charles Oliveira's guy. And... It was a war, man. I mean, Elvis Brenner was getting was getting lit up. He had, like, some nasty gashes. He had a huge, like, huge gash on his forehead. His blonde hair was red by the end of the fight. And he just never gave up. He was coming forward. And, yeah, he got the win. He got the knockout. He got the finish in the third round just as he needed. He was a big underdog going into that fight. As he was a big underdog in his UFC debut. So, he's been super impressive. So... I think he deserves a bit of a 
a pat on the back for you know taking these big fights and performing extremely well. Um, who else for Kevin Lee got absolutely smoked. I was so upset, man. I mean. Rina is a real deal. I mean, what's he on? Like a 20-fight win streak? 19-fight win streak or something ridiculous? Um, and was the favourite going into it, but I thought it would be more competitive. I joked around saying, I wonder how long Kevin Lee's knees are going to last because, you know, his knees blew out in his last fight against Diego Santos. He didn't really look that impressive, but he was fighting with no knees. Came on with these two huge uh, knee supports. So I was thinking if any, th any kind of wrestling exchanges go down, he's going to be fucked. But he just got smashed with a right hand early on and was almost out and then, you know, got choked out. So he essentially lost twice in under a minute. So not the UFC return he was looking for. I think that the guys at UFC could have potentially given him a bit of an easier matchup for his return fight. You know, let's be realistic. He's not going to be challenging for the title he's he's a big name you could have given him i don't know a bit more of a an entertaining fight rather than a fight like that but yeah disappointing to see i mean i like kevin lee but yeah main card again uh bruno ferreira got slapped up in the first minute i was expecting him to win so uh that was kind of surprising Ismail Bonfirm was coming off that impressive knockout victory over Terence Miller, uh, Terence McKinney, and Benoit Saint Denis was on point. Got the submission in the first round. He's also riding quite a good uh, win streak. He's like eleven and one, ten and one or something. So he was super impressive. Uh, Grant Dawson, again, I think Grant Dawson was uh, maybe the under uh, the underdog coming into this fight. And he made it look easy. Now, from a fan's perspective, that style of fighting is the most boring, in my opinion. Just taking the back and backpacking and, you know, just the little pillow punches and just controlling him for the entire fight. But it's so effective because the referee's not going to stop it. Most people are going to struggle to get you off their back. If you can just do get them down and you can get into that position, Sterling does it as well really well, Hadjermaine Sterling, you're a problem for anyone. And I think Grant Dawson's only got one defeat in his entire career, so it shows how dominant he is. And against a guy like that who he just beat over the weekend, who everyone was expecting to be really well, uh, Ismagolov, I think Dawson has just kind of thrown his hat into... Uh, contendership now in the lightweight division and i think it got him a top 10 ranking but yeah the main the main uh the main event sean strickland um got the job done in a way that he needed to get it done i think he was fighting um you know potentially a speed bump someone that could surprise him and you know shake up the middleweight division and I think he said as well in a couple of in, in an interview that like they're feeding him these contenders and he's sending them back home, which he is. And hats off to him because not a lot of people are willing to do that in his position. If you're ranked pretty highly, then a lot of people don't want to fight down. Sean Strickland will fight anyone. And, you know, he's given these new guys a chance. He's kind of given the fans what they want in terms of an opportunity to shake up the middleweight division. And... 
he showed them that they're not good enough yet. So he, I do think he needs to be rewarded. He called out Israel after, Israel Adesanya after the fight, and hard to argue with him really. Other than if, other than if, like I said earlier, if Drikus or Duplessis get really beat up and then can't fight in a couple of months, then I think Strickland will get it. But other than that, I can't see him fighting next. But I think if he holds on, he could be the one after that. But I personally would like to see him fight just one more time before title shot. I, I, I think that guys like that should get rewarded, but I think when it comes to actually fighting for a title, I'm still kind of old school. I think you need to beat a bunch of the top guys first to prove that you're ready. He's just kind of lucky in the sense that Israel Adesanya has already fought most of the top contenders, so he probably wants a fresh challenge. But yeah, I guess time will tell. Um, looking forward to this weekend's card. I'm going to hit a few predictions, um, some quick breakdowns, and then I'm going to sign off. So I'm going to fly through some of the undercard. Um, I don't know everybody fighting on this card, so if I don't know them, I'm probably going to avoid it. So starting off with Cameron Simon, I think he gets the job done against Terence Mitchell. Not particularly familiar with Terence Mitchell, if I'm honest, um, but I'm a big fan of Simon. If somehow or for whatever reason he manages to see this video, I've been messaging him on inbox on DM on Instagram to come on to my podcast for an interview. I would love to do that. Don't know if he's actually gonna, but yeah. So yeah, I think he gets the job done. Uh, I'm trying to look now at Tyrus Mitchell. So it's his uh, it's his debut in the UFC. He's 33 years old, 15 and two. I mean, you know, I don't know anything about his opponent, so I'm just going to ride with the guy that I like. And I think the way that Simon fights, he's kind of intense. He goes for the kill. I think he's going to get the knockout victory. So there's my first prediction. Cameron Simon by knockout. Um, next on the undercard of people that I actually know is... Um, Tatsu Tyra. Huge prospect, great all-round fighter, fighting Edgar Chares. I think that Chares is on a two-fight win streak, right? I think this is also his debut in the UFC. He used to fight, yeah, Fury FC. So, again, another guy making his UFC debut. It's always hard to predict if what they're going to be like unless you're really into the regional scene. Because there's usually not a bunch of stuff you can watch on these guys. And they're certainly not in the spotlight as much as like, you know, Bellator, PFL, UFC. But I'm just going to have to ride with the people that I know. And based on uh, Tatsu Tyra's previous fights, I'm going to go for submission victory. And then preliminary card. Pissed that Jack Maddalena and Sean Brady is uh, is called off. Uh, get to that in a minute. Um, Jimmy Crew is obviously rematching with Alonzo Minefield. Now, Minefield was looking great in that fight the first time. I thought Jimmy Crew would win. Um, so I think that Crew's going to have made the adjustments he needs to get this one done. And I think he gets the finish as well. 
Not sure if he's going to get the KO or submission. I mean, he's very capable of getting either. But I'm going Jimmy Crute finish. Um, Jack Della Maddalena. One of my guys. One of my favorite fighters at the minute. Huge prospect in the UFC. Bags of potential. Lost his two opening pro MMA fights. And then has gone unbeaten since. So he's 14-2. and two. Looked amazing in his last fight. And he's fighting the guy that if you've seen the viral video where he tackles someone out of the cage. So the guy is fighting fought recently. So he's been in camp. So it's not going to be like one of these short notice fights where the guy's going to gas quickly. This guy's just come out of camp. He's just fought a couple of weeks ago. So this guy's going to come in ready. He's 7-0. and um, yeah, should be should be an interesting fight. Uh, Robbie Lawler versus Nico Price. A uh, huge Robbie Lawler fan. One of the best, most entertaining fights to ever bless the sport. Now, I mentioned that I write for Verdict MMA earlier. I did a piece on why Robbie Lawler's fight with Rory McDonald was so special. Go give that a read. It's probably my favorite article that I've written. And I think it's probably the best one I've done. Um, I just spoke about the impact it had on Lawler's legacy and the impact it had on his career and stuff. Went into the details of the fight and stuff like that. And I rewatched that fight prior to writing that article. And man, what a banger it is. It's one of the best fights ever. Whenever someone asks me about MMA, uh, who's never watched the sport, that's the fight I recommend. I say, if you like that fight, you're going to love it. Because that fight has everything. It has the technical abilities. It has you know, all the crowd are going wild, it has the title on the line, it has the violence, it has the gruesomeness. If you can sit through that fight and you want him more, then you're going to be an MMA fan. However, I don't think he wins. Unfortunately, I think Nico Price is going to get the job done. Probably knockout, honestly. Kills me to say it, but yeah. Um... Yeah, I think Nico Price wins by knockout. It will be sad to see. Um, I saw, I've seen a lot of people complaining on online about the placement of this fight on the card. And Errol Hawani made a great point saying this is probably the best best position on the card for him because it's a pay-per-view. It's International Fight Week. Um, a lot of people are going to be watching the free fights, the preliminary fights. So this is the main event of the preliminary fight. This is the fight that's used to hype up the main event. So when you've got a fight like that with such a prestigious fighter in it, and you know a lot of people are going to be want to watching that, it's a great selling point for the pay per view for people that might be on the fence. And I think it's going to get a lot of eyes on it more than if it was like the opening card, opening fight on the main card. So I don't have any issues with the placement on the card. I just hope that it's not one of those situations because there's like 14 fights on on that night it's not one of those situations where they're running behind schedule and they can't do an interview maybe that's why it's the main event of the preliminary card because there should be no time issues because they usually give themselves some time to uh, change but yeah uh, Bo Nickel versus Val Woodburn obviously Bo Nickel's fight has been cancelled which which is annoying uh, I mean Tyrese Gore was going to be an interesting fight I I kind of liked him on the uh, on the Ultimate Fighter so I was kind of looking forward to that but you know shit happens 
Uh, Val Woodburn is, it trains with Chris Curtis, I believe. Um, I certainly know Chris Curtis tweeted about him, so I'm taking from that that he either trains with him or he has trained with him. Um, he said that Woodburn's going to be coming to fight. He's not going to be someone that's easy to take down. But it's all well and good someone saying he's not easy to take down when you're not as good as a wrestler as Bo Nickel. Bo Nickel is the cream of the crop when it comes to wrestling. So it's hard to say from anyone's perspective, really, that he's going to be, you know, struggle in this area when that area is he's the he's the king he's the he's the pinnacle of that so i mean i saw a video of this val woodburn doing some landscaping that was enough i'm all in on val woodburn i mean i think he gets knocked out i think bo nickel actually gets the knockout not the submission um i would love more than nothing else to see one of these guys taking the fight on short notice stepping up on the big stage and getting the win but yeah trying to be unbiased but i mean no one cares about this podcast right so i hope val woodburn gets the victory but i'm going for bow nickel victory then now we get into the juicy fights the last four fights are the ones that we're all here to watch jalen turner dan hooker great fight going with my boy dan hooker i think hooker has been working on his ground game um a lot prior to his last fight with pulez so I think that going into this fight with Jalen Turner, he's going to be ready if the fight goes to the ground. He's a big sparring partner with Israel Adesanya, so I don't think the range of Turner is going to cause him too much issues because I think he's used to that. I think Hooker has got, you know, his mentality has changed over the last few months, and I think he's going to, uh, I think he's going to get the job done. Uh, I'm not sure how, but you know, Hooker's not someone that's that you're going to get to quit. He won't quit on you. He's coming to fight and he's going to leave everything in there. If Jalen Turner's to win, he's going to have to be on his best. But, yeah, I think I think Hooker gets the job done. Then the next fight is Robert Whittaker versus Drickus Duplessis. Now, the more I've thought about this, the more I've thought about ways that Drickus could potentially win. But I just... I just don't see it happening. I mean, he's 5 and 0 in the UFC. He's, you know, he is like the epitome of when, you know, you see that meme, he's got that dog in him. Drickus has that dog in him. He doesn't give up and he somehow always finds a way to win. But I think when you get to a fighter like Robert Whitaker, it, you just need more than that. You can get away with it against Derek Brunson. You can get away with it against Darren Till. But against Whitaker, the only way that you're going to beat him is to be technically better than him. And not many fighters are, which is why he doesn't lose often. I mean, when you think back to his fights, for example, with Darren Till, Darren Till had success on the feet because Darren Till is a very technical striker. But then, you know, Whitaker just wrestled him and won the fight. Whitaker is a fantastic all-rounded, well-rounded fighter. Him and Volkanovski are probably the two most well-rounded fighters, in my opinion. I think that the only way Drickus can win is if he if he knocks him out. I don't think he's even gonna even gonna be able to take him down. Whitaker wasn't, you know, he gave Romero a really tough time in terms of taking him down. I think his takedown defense is amazing. He's going to be too technically sound on the feet. Drickus won't be able to get near him. 
Drickus is just going to need to to keep up that intensity, that 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 pressure. Now, I can't remember who it is who he fought in his second fight in the UFC, but I was re-watching some fights prior to this, making this, and Drickus was impressive because he fought at 100 miles an hour for three rounds. The fact that this fight is three rounds suits Drickus more than it suits Worker. Drickus's plot, uh, only path to victory is if he's just in Whitaker's face and he makes it a dogfight. He can't allow Whitaker to have space in the middle of the octagon. He has to press forward. He has to get Whitaker up against the cage. He has to make it ugly. That's the only way I think he wins and he, he manages to catch him. Other than that, I think it's just a whitewash. I think it's like Whitaker versus Vittori. I, I don't think he gets near him. So yeah, I'm going Whitaker and I'm going Whitaker by a late stoppage. Third round KO. Um, next fight is Brandon Moreno versus Alexandre Pantoja. I think Pantoja goes 3-0 against uh, Baby Assassin. And it kills me to say it, I love Moreno. But I think Pantoja is too tricky. I think over five rounds, I think Pantoja catches him in an awkward position and he subs him. I don't think Moreno is going to be able to knock him out. I think Pantoja is going to look to get the fight to the ground. And I think the way that Moreno is kind of awkward with his scrambles, he sometimes gives his back. He sometimes gives his back up when he scrambles, and he, he always manages to find himself in precarious positions. I think in the spur of the moment, he sometimes makes these like rash decisions, and I think against someone like Pantoja, he's just going to punish you. So I'm going Pantoja submission victory, and then finally Volkanovski versus Yaya Rodriguez. I'm going with the boy, uh, Volkanovski, and I'm going unanimous decision. If it's a finish, I think it's going to be later rounds. Now, of course, I've said so many times, I think this is such a hard fight for Volkanovski. Just because Yair Rodriguez has that Hail Mary in him, but not just that, he's so dangerous on the ground. Holloway had success wrestling Yair, so it's pretty evident that the path to victory and the safest path to victory is to wrestle Yair which I think Volkanovski's going to do. But there's no saying he doesn't go out there and make it look easy on the feet because he definitely can do that. I think if if Volkanovski can figure out the kicks early in the first round, first first two rounds, he makes it look easy anywhere. If he has a tough time with the kicks, then I think he's going to wrestle and I think that's his best path to victory. He just has to be careful with the submissions. But I think with Craig Jones and the way that they work, I don't think he's going to get caught. I think he's too good. And one of the things that I like the most about uh, Volkanovski is you can see very clearly that he prepares for his fights. He fights differently against different opponents where he's clearly trained specifically for that opponent and you know specific things, specific scenarios. And I think he's going to have done the same with Yair. He's going to have trained with people that can, you know, control the distance with their kicks, people that are dangerous on the ground and stuff like that. And I just think Volkanovski's fight IQ is just too good. I just don't see how he wins. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is. Well, I do. I've just said it. I think he wins if he lands a Hail Mary or he catches Volkanovski in a submission. I just think it's very unlikely. If they fight 10 times, I think Volkanovski wins eight. So I'm giving Yair Rodriguez a 20% chance. So don't be surprised if if Yair wins. 20% is quite a lot. 
But yeah, I'm going uh, Volkanovski and I'm going uh, Unanimous Decision. There we have it. So yeah, they're my picks. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. I'll see you next week. Um, take a listen to my YouTube videos. Uh, subscribe. All that stuff. Blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I'll see you next week to see how well I did on my picks. Probably not good, but fingers crossed. Thank you for listening.